Caleb, thank you very much for coming on the show. It's awesome that you've been able to do this. It's really, really nice to not only speak to a female, but a lifter and someone that lives and breathes this just as much as everyone else that we have on the podcast. So thank you for coming on board. Thanks for having me. It's it's really interesting because I I love speaking to people that get to have very different views and opinions on kind of the the multifaceted strength industry and training industry and obviously you get to come at it from various different angles of not only training yourself but all of your work that you've done in the physio world all of the sports science stuff that obviously gives you this huge breadth of information and tools to utilize with your clients to help them progress but what i'm really 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 interested in is getting into the nitty-gritty of what females need to be doing in their training. It's, it's, it's kind of a hot topic that we're talking more about now, but understanding that females and males don't operate the same, and that's fine. Our genetic makeup and structure is different. Our anatomical structure is different. And learning how to utilize what we have to the best of our ability. So what do we think first and foremost is the most important thing we need to be looking at and assessing in female clients compared to male clients? Well, I think the biggest thing uh, physiologically um, and most obviously is the change, the difference in hormones between males and females. Um, And this can affect things from programming. It can affect the way you sort of structure your training it can also affect, like the anatomy side can affect um, ex- execution. We sort of look at females as being like smaller males. That's not necessarily true. Um, there are, you know, so many differences between males and females and the, and the way they should be trained. Just like, yeah, there's, there's so many differences I could make. I could put them all now. <laughs> that's like an hour podcast just in and of itself of all the differentiating yeah, factors hour is gonna be about. <laughs> so obviously it's it's yeah, really so... no sorry crack on no no no, no you go it's it, it's obviously it's really interesting because of course there there are so many big huge differentiating factors but yet when we look at kind of uh, general training, general pop training, things that we see online, we really aren't seeing kind of like, this is what we need to be looking at for uh, for the female lifter, for someone who is a beginner, and this is what we need to be looking for for, for males. It's just kind of, everyone's kind of using the same kind of structure for everything, which obviously to an extent is gonna get people a certain way there, but then when we really start to get into the nitty gritty, like I know obviously you guys love to talk about like the anatomical structure of like the hip joint. In terms of like squatting, obviously a female is gonna have a different hip structure to a male in terms of their depth, in terms of how far they can drive their knees out, what's comfortable for them is gonna be very, very different. So when you are a, a beginner lifter, you're a female and you're coming into the gym, what are some of the things that you can be doing to preemptively help you to work with your body in not only a necessarily a, a safer environment but an environment where you can utilize your anatomical structure better yeah well i think um i think we're quite well to sort of new beginner sort of stage where we're wanting to program higher frequency higher volume uh for beginner lifter but also females 
due to their hormones like the estrogen, estrogen makeup and things like that, we can actually have higher volume, higher frequency training, um, as well as, you know, we have um, the, the right muscle fiber type, all of that as well. So in that regard, we're quite well adapted for that new beginner sort of um, progress into more of that intermediate advanced and you're sort of looking at intensity women are still able to and this has been shown in studies still able to work at higher intensities for a higher volume for example so be able to work at say 85 percent of their one rm for three reps whereas a male might only be able to do two reps of that sort of um that intensity at that same intensity sort of and and that's because of yeah the way that our muscle fiber distribution is made up and um the estrogen like the levels of estrogen that we have um in our like physiologically as well um so when i'm looking at sort of hip structure and also um you know upper body muscle mass distribution and carrying angle of the elbow and things like that um it's it's just there are a few cues that I, I will use for beginner lifters. Um, a, a common cue that's heard for squats, for example, would be knees out. Um, and because we have this this cue angle, so this um, this angle where our femur goes has an inward trajectory to the towards the knee because of our wider hip structure, our knees sort of nor like anatomically normally sit in a in a little bit. So when a woman is told knees out is a cue, like yelling knees out, knees out, this could actually be uh, too far out for her. And then what's happening is, is the forces in the knee are traveling more sort of in towards that medial meniscus. And it's, it's putting sort of undue forces and stress through the knee if you're sort of going knees out, out all the time. Um, so actually knees not in might be a better cue. Whereas, um, yeah, with that, that I'm an, structure is that is just maybe not an appropriate cue for a woman because they're thinking like push them out push them out push them out whereas like they already normally in a little bit and that's that's what used to you know walking around day to day Yeah, I, I think it's also a thing of the kind of generally we see uh, in the gym environment, you know, lots of these huge, big, jacked up, muscly dudes who have, you know, usually very poor range of motion. They're not the most mobile creatures on the planet, but females tend to always carry kind of a generally a little bit more of mobility. So this kind of over queuing of knees out, like, you know, you've got the flexibility, you can do this, you, you can reach this range of motion. So this overemphasis on this cue that really isn't actually doing anything, but just kind of one, creating more confusion for the client because they're going, why, you know, why can't I get this? Why, why is this cue not working for me? But then also it then confusing the movement pattern for them and then kind of not necessarily enjoying it quite as much because they haven't got it because you as a coach are actually cueing something that isn't going to be beneficial. So I think it's really interesting that you bring up this point that, okay, it's not necessarily knees out. It's just not knees in. I think that's a brilliant way to think about it. Yeah, I think I think really helps people, especially like when you're learning a new skill like 
it's frustrating. Like it's like, why can't I this? Why can't I get this? And then if, if you're if you're queuing the same thing over and over and over and someone's not getting it, you need a different queue. Like otherwise it's just crazy. Like, well, knocking your head up against a brick wall. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly <laughs> what it's like. It's your your busting your head against the brick wall, but then also the client is just getting progressively more frustrated at the fact that they're not getting any further through with their progression. So it's really interesting that, that you kind of talk yeah. about that. So um, obviously training with females over males, well, training in general, obviously we have so many different variables that we have to take into consideration on a daily basis. And then the thing I find fascinating is that you take all of those variables and then you you look at a female and you go okay well not only do we have all of these things that we're having to deal with on a day-to-day basis but then every single month our entire body just wants to completely jeopardize everything we've worked towards and throw every single one of our hormones as far out of whack as possible just to really test us so uh, i'm fascinated to, to to talk to you about how do you think that you can best utilize uh, kind of uh, your your period and training around your period? Because of course, it's it's something that you can't get away from. It's something that is going to have tremendous physiological effects on your body month in, month out. Obviously, you knowing about it is helpful, but how are you trying to balance training and getting the most out of yourself or your clients? And then balancing the expectations with obviously everything else that's happening. So it's because we are able to reproduce, whereas the males can't reproduce. But um, I think women sort of see it as like a negative thing and they sort of, um, you know, find it frustrating and just annoying, like going through this cycle every month. But there are huge benefits to it as well um, that also contribute to our training and just becoming more aware and knowing of are in your cycle can have major implications on your training because if you're not progressing it's not about progressing week to week it's sort of about progressing from say like week one of one block to week one of another block because that's where the hormones are going to be sort of at similar levels each month rather than say comparing week one to week three in a training block where Um, you might be holding more water weight and then you think you haven't lost weight even though you've been in a calorie deficit and um, it just sort of throws off um, your pro like your perception of progress and you sort of get a bit demoralized but we need to understand that like our body is going through this process and we need to sort of be a bit more understanding and also like empathetic towards ourselves um, if we're not hitting those weights in a certain week um so first of all we have there are sort of there are two main phases but sort of broken up into four i guess stages of the cycle so we have our follicular phase is sort of like the first phase this is where sort of menstruation and bleeding sort of is finishing um and that's obviously when like the uterine lining is is um, shedding and we're bleeding um, and all the hormones are quite low at this time. So we can sort of feel a little bit um, tired and sluggish and um, not really performing our best. Um, But then when we go into the follicular phase, when um, the egg is being released from the ovary, uh, the estrogen 
starts to rise and, and a hormone called FSH starts to rise and this sort of gives us a little bit more energy. So as we go through that follicular phase, everything's rising, sort of feeling, feeling good, feeling energetic. Um, and it, it peaks sort of around ovulation and that's when that egg is released from the ovary. So the first sort of two weeks is a good time to sort of go hard, harder with your intensity in training, um, up the volume and intensity um, and sort of ride the, ride the high of that wave where we're feeling good. Um, after a few days after ovulation, that's when uh, estrogen sort of starts to take a dip and we sort of start feeling a little bit more. We go into the what's called the luteal phase and um, that's when energy um, performance and things like that start to take a little bit of a dip. But also during this phase, um, progesterone rises, progesterone rises. So um, this causes um, an increase in metabolic rate and an incre increase, sorry, in um, core body temperature. So we might not be able to the volume and intensity um, just due to, you know, increased cardiovascular strain and things like that. Um, so this is a time where sort of I would program for my client more of like sort of deload, deload um, week during that time and probably not the best time to diet a client either because, you know, due to that sort of metabolic rate um we have increased cravings and things like that so um yeah i would sort of stick to more of that that dieting phase more towards the first two weeks because if you're putting them on super low calories and they're just hungry all the time they're just gonna you know they're gonna go and binge maybe if they don't have that sort of self-control so yeah that's basically a quick rundown of the cycle and and how i would program around that time yeah, that's really interesting. So, are you working with your clients off of? Are you kind of looking at four week mini cycles? Obviously, you're kind of gonna you're gonna have your your macro cycle, yeah, and understand what you're looking for in the grand scheme of things with their progress. And then, are you taking that that general progress and breaking it down into monthly blocks and saying, okay, well, these first two weeks, you know, that this is where we're going to be increasing our percentiles or we're going to be working you know maybe one point up higher on the rpe or whatever you know platform you like to use to to work on how hard your clients are working then just slowly taper it off for, for the rest of the two weeks and then look to increase when you come back in the next two weeks how are you programming that it really depends on the client so you sort of have to um like it might not be something you broach straight away, but it might be something that you recognize patterns over time with them. Um, because some females don't really experience many symptoms. So if they're feeling feeling good through that luteal phase, then they can still work hard because there's actually a, um, a decreased risk of injury during that time as well like because of what the hormones are doing around like there is a high risk of injury during that follicular phase when um, the ligaments are becoming a bit more lax and things like that so um, it really yeah it really depends on the client so and it also depends on their training age it also depends how heavy they are lifting if they're more of a beginner and I'm programming sort of like a higher volume lower intensity then maybe it won't affect them so much but if they're sort of lifting heavier weights and more sort of towards their um, one rep max, then maybe we'll take 
like a deload week during that um, during that second phase. Now, obviously, you spoke about earlier so, on yeah. that that you know, in terms of training frequency and volume and stuff, that that you're going to be opting with with everything female wise, a lot more lower body based in terms of because you're able to recruit a lot more there tends to be that this drift towards females wanting to train lower body anyway because they're genetically predisposed to be able to to, to utilize that load better do you feel that this is kind of uh this being that 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 kind of that two-week kind of deload just to, to clarify that that this is a case where you would maybe reduce more of the upper body stuff that that is going to have a greater impact um, as opposed to the lower body stuff or are you pulling everything back um again i would say it probably depends on the client so if they are sort of um like at that higher training age and they are more like of a strength athlete let's say and they're working at higher um percentages of their one rep max then Perhaps they still keep that intensity high, but they're just cutting their volume in half. Um, and perhaps um, if they are having a deload week, maybe we just do an A exercise rather than like all the supplementary and accessory exercises as well, um, just so they are having that rest, but they're still sort of keeping that um, like that system high because like no system really works in isolation so yes there's like the hormones we need to factor in but there's also like the neurological system and like how they're feeling physically and um how their muscles are recovering all those sorts of things we sort of need to take into account um so yeah perhaps uh we would take take away some of the volume of their supplementary exercises um yeah Females tend to have um, sort of more androgen receptors in their in their lower body, so they can take a bit more volume in their lower body, and then um, you know muscle mass and things like that on their body they can take away. And stress is an aggregate as well, so it's it's looking at their daily lifestyle and what they're doing day to day, whether they have a stressful job or they haven't slept or you know they're in a calorie deficit. All these things we need to take into account when programming. So, the hormones just sort of layers in an extra thing at the top, but there are all these lifestyle factors as well. Yeah, but it's like I was saying in the beginning, like, isn't it? Like there's so many different factors. There's just yeah. so many. Like, it's a science of Yeah, and then, of course, you have not only, you know, all of those factors, then obviously when you have all of these hormones come into play as a female, it obviously then messes massively with you mentally. So not only are you trying to deal and juggle with all these stresses, but then you've got, it almost feels like your, your, your body that's kind of going against everything that you want it to, which I'm sure can be really, really frustrating at times. You could have the most elaborate program laid out and then, I don't know, you know, they're dog gets run over or something and it's like well that day's out or that week's out and like i had a bad day at work or someone brought cake into the office and like everything just gets blown so like it's having that structure yes but um, also realizing that people aren't just robots like human beings have emotions and and just being empathetic to that as well like if a client comes to me and they're like oh well like 
I fucked this up, like this day and this day. It's just like, okay, well, like, let's recognize like what happened. And then, you know, let's work on things that we can do for next time in case this happens, have strategies in place. But also like, I'm not like going to go, well, you fucked up. Like, (laughs) just, yeah. you. (laughs) How dare you eat that cake? Because like you do it. Give me 10 press-ups now. I'm not perfect. (laughs) Yeah, right. No, I think yeah. those are really like old school days, like those days ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm sure there are still a few of them around out there for sure in the yeah. deep dark alley gyms. <laughs> so uh, it's it, it's it's really interesting, um, you know, coming into this with all of the, these different factors, because I think a lot of people don't necessarily, especially Gen Pop people that are just getting into training for the first time. I should should go out and state because I haven't spoken about Gen Pop. Gen Pop being just general population, the vast majority of just general people out there that are training, getting into training. So if you don't know about all of these different stress factors and variables that that are in day to day in your training cycle, in your program, in your life, that it can be very very overwhelming because you can feel that you know you're you're doing all the things right you're doing the sessions you're getting in there you're trying to be consistent but things just aren't going right so i think having that that bigger greater understanding and it brings me to to, to my next point is how much do you focus your emphasis on educating the female client about what they should expect around training around their period what they should expect out of their body and how they can kind of utilize these things to their advantage yeah well, that's huge like education's kind of like my wheelhouse like i don't think i don't think i could be a trainer without educating because i as a physio as well not just a trainer like i always in clinic if i was treating someone hands on my next like step would always be to give them like active exercise or um, some sort of tip that they can go away with um, to help themselves because I think empowering people is the most important thing and it actually helps them get better as well like when they know what's going on it's it's sort of like, oh, okay, like it's it's more of that awareness, I think. Like it's not a very good business model because, you know, p- people get better and then they they go and they're <laughs> on their way. But <laughs> but it's it's like it's what I stand for because I'd, I'd rather that, like I'd rather, you know, people know me for that than, than coming to me and then giving them, say, like, a low calorie diet and high um, like high intensity exercise where they're going to lose a lot of weight really quickly, but it's like, it's not sustainable in the long run. And it's also um, not educating them and, and, and yes, they'll get rid of quickly, but it's not going to last long term. So I'd rather give someone like long lasting results um, for the long term. And then, so if anything were to happen again, where they injure themselves, they know what to do. Um, or they come to me for advice and then know I'm going to give them um, proper advice that's going to do that they can do themselves as well. And and here we are, like 2020, what is it, March, April 2020, we're all stuck in isolation and we're having to do all these like virtual calls and things like that, which hopefully like obviously is not going to last forever. But during 
time, people can't go and see practitioners. So it's it's giving them the tools to actually be able to help themselves and and fix that. Like if it's an injury, fix themselves. And if it's training or nutrition or diet, um, it can be really frustrating when you don't know what works because. You know, for example, if someone's to do a keto diet, they're like, oh, like keto's like, it's it's a calorie deficit. Like keto's amazing or like high carbs amazing, but it's just all like a calorie deficit. And once you know that sort of base level, it makes, it kind of makes your job a lot easier as well because you don't have to repeat yourself so many times. Yeah, so education is massive, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I completely agree with every single point that you said there. I think you hit the nail on the freaking head. And I think it's really interesting. So I I work as a, a sports massage therapist as well as, 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 as being a trainer and a coach. And I've always found it fascinating. I work in a physiotherapy clinic. I get to work with literally some of the best sports physios in the UK. So I'm very, very blessed that I get to be around these people on a day-to-day -day basis. But, and I mean, I, I know that I'll say this to you and I pretty much know 100% that you'll agree with it. But as 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 a practitioner, uh, as a therapist, when you give uh, a client a treatment, they get something out of it. But then when you take those extra two or three minutes and you go, okay, these are the things that I want you to work on. These are the things that I, that I want you to develop. And then the next time that you see them, they come back in, they go, hey, you know those exercises that you gave me? Oh my God they've been amazing. Like I haven't had any more shoulder pain or I've finally been able to squat again or I can actually get out of bed without any pain. And as, as, as someone that's actually given them that advice, there is no greater feeling in the world than knowing that you just doing that extra little bit more than you had to. Like you'd already been paid. It didn't matter. You could have shut your mouth and nothing would have changed. But the fact that you've then gone above and beyond that and someone's got something out of that, it's such a good little kick and feeling inside for yourself. But like, yeah. I think it's really, really important that we should be doing more of that. Yeah, and you know, like if, if say their partner or their mother or family member or something like that has an issue, they're going to send them to you because you know, helped them. It's, it's, it, it, it pays back in the long run just to do the right thing and, you know, help people in the right way rather than sort of misleading or um, just giving them a quick fix. Like there's no such thing as a quick fix. <laughs> yes. And once yes, they're sort of, yes, there is no such thing. I'm so <laughs> glad you said that. Thank fuck. And, and once you sort of like, once they're sort of invested, like, you know, they're invested in their health as well. So it makes your job easier because it's not like, yeah, that, that hitting your head up against the brick wall either. It's like, thank you so much. And yeah, yeah it makes you feel really good. It makes it all worth it. But, it, you know, obviously you're going to have those clients sometimes where maybe, you know, they are gem pop and they're not that interested in how their body works or whatever. But then on the flip side, you know, I've had clients before that have come into the gym, they've known nothing. And I'm very much like you that, I, I say the exact same thing. I say it's the worst business model in the world because what I want to do is teach you and train you everything I can possibly know now so then you can go along and you've now got the foundation for the rest of your life ahead of you. And then I can rest happy because I know that that's what I would have wanted when I was younger. So educating my clients, yeah, I think, is really yeah. important. And when you come across a client that feeds off of that education and you can see that light bulb and you go, okay, well, actually, this is what's happening at this joint structure. This is what we're trying to cue for. This is, And they go, 
oh, right. And then they try the movement again and you can just see it in their eyes that they get it and everything clicks into place and you're like, this is why we do it. Because now they're trying to actively understand why they're doing these things. And I think it's so, 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 so important that we have people like you out in the world that is pushing hard on this educational stuff because there's a million and one different fucking Instagram accounts out there and a million and one different corrective exercises. You know, you could pretty much get a master's degree in, in any chosen field via the internet, but finding the correct information and finding the correct way to utilize it, I think is still very, very rare. And that's what I love about your profile. And that's what I love about what you guys are doing is that you have this huge emphasis, not only on education, but educating to a very high degree and letting everyone understand why they actually need to be doing these things rather than just being like, ah, you got weak ass glutes, go and do four sets of 20 banded clamshells and just kind of leaving them to it and then wondering why their glute development doesn't get any better. Do you know what I mean? Like, that's what it's all about. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, as well. And, and the best way to learn yourself is to teach other people. That's what I find as well. If I find a new piece of it, like I'm updating my my knowledge all the time. Like I'm not treating the same way I tr- I treated five years ago. Like someone taught me a way to treat, and then you know I sort of went along with that, and and I sort of questioned little things out of that, and then I was able to sort of become the practitioner I am today. So just always questioning, and then you know when I learn something new, we'll try it, and we'll um you know we'll update our information as we go as well i think think it's the best way to learn that's brilliant because you know personal experience gives you so much more but it kind of it's going back into this like ever feeling loop that kind of you going through that experience gives you an understanding but it also gives you empathy it gives you the understanding of the movement patterns so you can then educate and refeed that but then because you have that empathy you then understand what that feels like so then when you're reciprocating that with clientele you have a great connection with them to be like hey like i know that this sucks or i know that your rom here might not be as good so this is going to be a bit harder so then you can let them know and i think it's it's little things like that that just become so massively underestimated in this industry that that little bit of hey like i know this maybe is going to be a little bit harder so let's try this let's do that that is the thing that's going to keep those clients coming back week in week out that are going to want them to come to you because they feel comfortable that you understand them and how their body works and i think that's a huge point yeah yeah and it it is it like it does get frustrating when you see some things out there, but you sort of try to understand like that that's what they were taught as well. Like this might be something that we were taught at university, for example, but like that's outdated now and we need to sort of update the software and, and keep expanding on what we know and and how the body works and and just yes, taking into account all those things as the person in front of you not just you know you're not going to give one person the same exercises as another person or they're not going to train the same way um and like we talked about before with body structure and anatomy and physiology and things like that you know we treat we work with individuals and and don't just sort of hand out a recipe to um like everyone like there's not one size sort of fits all yeah that's exactly it and i think for, for, for males uh, training and coaching males, 
that's one thing. Males training and coaching females is another thing and vice versa with females and females and females and males because of course we, we go back to that giant empathetic scale of where do we sit at. So do you feel that kind of obviously being a male coach, I really tried to I really tried to put an understanding and an emphasis behind every single session, taking on board everything that my client is saying in the warm-up, really listening to them for the first five to ten minutes, seeing how they're feeling, seeing how their day is, and in my mind trying to go through all those stresses, factors, and contributing things that are gonna kind of tell me, okay, is are we gonna get something out of this session? Like are we gonna be pushing up to an eight or a nine on the RPE? Or is this more of a, a high volume, low low kind of day? Do you think that that males coaching females need to start having a, a greater empathetic factor into uh, their training and what they should be expecting to get out of sessions around their cycle? Um, or do you think that, you know, maybe this is something that we're being a little bit too kind of like flouncy pouncy about and we just kind of just need to shut the fuck up and get stuck <laughs> in with it? Because I understand there is there is sometimes this, yeah. like, this like paralysis by overanalysis as well. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, there's the whole, I guess, debate of, like, people sort of staying in their lane, like, males, you know, if they haven't been through that, can they really um, talk about that with their female clients? Um, look, I had this discussion with someone as well, they reached out um, on Instagram, and uh, they asked me about this. And I think, I think males... I think it's great for them to be aware about, you know, all these sort of factors, obviously things like anatomy, you know, that doesn't matter. They can always change up the cues and things like that for females in terms of like the physiology and the side thing. I don't think it necessarily needs to be a conversation males bring up with a female. Um, a female might not feel if she's that type of female. I mean, it's all about, we're in the people business. Like it's all about, like talking to people. So yeah. if you feel that your client's open and they're happy to talk about that, then great. Um, if they're not, maybe they're a little bit um, more uh, reserved and you don't think that might be a conversation you want to open up, then um, like I said before, just um, asking them how they feel is great. You don't necessarily have to be like, where in your cycle are you? You don't have to be like that direct. But just asking <laughs> Show them me on the calendar. What, where, where are we? <laughs> yeah, and a lot of females don't know either. Like they don't, um, they're sort of like unaware. Like even if it, it doesn't affect them that much, they might not be aware of, uh, like aware of what's actually happening in their body or they might not track it. For example, they might have irregular periods, like some might have like a longer cycle because it can be between, like normal is anywhere between 28 and 35 days, but you might have, um, for example, a young female and she may have an eating disorder and she might not even get her period. So all the hormones might be low all the time. Um, so amenorrhea is quite um, common, also PCOS, like things like that. So going back to my original thing, um, for a male talking to a female, I would just sort of just sort of ask the feeling for that week and get an understanding like week to week in each block. Um, and you might start being able to see patterns and piecing things together there. 
And then that's when you can sort of start to be like, you know, recognize patterns and, and program that way and, and be a bit more sort of, I guess, sensitive and um, like smart that way rather than just bloating it out there. Yeah, I, I love, love what you said there, where you said that, you know, we're in the people business. And it's it's so true that I think if a lot of coaches took the time to take a step back and actually take a few minutes to, to actually focus on the client, actually listen to them, actually pay attention to them, actually learn about them, actually learn about, you know, how they feel from day to day, what things at work piss them off. These little things that, you know, you might think are, are, are nothing, are just kind of mindless chit chat throughout a session. These are all cue factors that when that client then next comes in, they go, oh man, Jennifer was really pissing me off today at work. And you go, okay, I know you hate Jennifer. I know she stresses you out. I know maybe that we, we, we need to be focusing more on this today than that. But if you don't know and you don't take the time to know that person, that's just a throwaway statement. But actually, you can gain so much knowledge from just these little things that your clients are telling you. So I think you, 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 you've put it so beautifully there that you know, we're in the people business. If you actually care about people and you actually listen to people as a coach, that's going to give you a much, much bigger head start in terms of getting and eking the most out of your clients. Yeah. And, and you might come and Jennifer's been pissing her off that day and, but maybe, maybe she doesn't need like a, like a lesser session maybe she doesn't need the intensity and the volume to be brought back maybe she just needs to go, get on a hack squat and like smash it out just she's in a hack squat or a leg press say rather than a back squat or a front squat or something like that just just take take that um that you know that uh stability instrument away and then just chuck them on something else and let them go for it if, if that's what they need during that day you know you, you can sort of judge that in the warm-up and and you know see how that session's going to run but they can still get the most out of it like yeah. it's not just a rolling around you know something like that yeah exactly and you know there have been times where i've kind of i've been warming up with a client we've been getting ready to to kind of go into our first movement deadlift squat whatever it might be and you know, I'm going, oh, okay, so they're, they're, they're really heavy on their period. They're really not having a good time. They're really stressed out. And we get into to the movement and I think, you know, okay, maybe we're gonna take it a little bit easier today. And they start progressing through it and actually form looks really tasty. Everything's moving well. And we just keep on going and keep on asking them, you know, how are you feeling? Yeah, it feels good, body feels good, everything's working. It's like, okay, well, this is going against everything that I think, because in theory, I should maybe be being a little bit easier with it. Fuck, I've had some sessions where females have come in and said they've just been feeling the worst they've ever felt. And then they've added like 20 kilos onto their deadlift PB. And I'm like, okay, right. <laughs> this goes against everything I thought to be true. So it's so it's so important. Like you said, like you have to understand the individual. Yeah. And you need, as a coach, you need to be ready and you need to be adaptable. You have, you have all the tools in the tool belt and you understand, but at the end of the day, it's it's about the client. Yeah, yeah, and I think when you're when you're in the business to help the client out, 
against you know monetary gain or social gain or social influence that's when you know that's when the money comes that's when the respect comes that's when the progression from all of your clients comes because everyone understands that you're in it because you love it and you're passionate about it and it's not all of these extrinsic factors that are kind of that are, that are bringing you here so i think it's beautiful and you can you i mean you can hear when you talk about it that you are someone who's very much you're in the business for the person you're not like in the business for like the how sexy the business has now become do you know what i mean yeah yeah no i was i was in the i was playing sports since i could walk really and then i was i was in the gym from 15 16 whenever i was allowed to get in the gym so it's it's pretty much my life and i couldn't imagine doing anything else right now yeah it's 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 brilliant and it's a great time to be alive obviously in terms of where we are with social media we have the option now to kind of go against uh you know all of the incorrective practices that are being put out all of that all the misinformation that's going out there and it's actually it gives you the chance to to give your 10 cents on on these topics and put in and and one thing again i i want to talk about is uh with the edu with your education obviously through your instagram and stuff you're very very big on kind of taking things that to to a lot of people that are you know intermediate advanced trainers they think you know these are the things that they should be doing and you start to break them down and you start to make people think you know okay well why actually are you doing that and one point that i really really would want to bring up um, which is fantastic is kind of you talking about uh stretching muscles versus strengthening muscles or strengthening the joint and supporting structure and it's something that i think for the vast majority of people that that are even quite heavily involved in training it's something that they would never even think about you know we're taught when muscles are tight we need to stretch them that makes it better this is good then we can go back and do all of those ridiculous things that we like to do to jack our bodies up and make them tight again but the brilliant point you make you know if your psoas <laughs> is tight and your hamstrings are tight well they both have agonistic and antagonistic effects on the hips so how how is this gonna how is this gonna work so actually understanding and going okay well maybe you need to be looking at this rather than this i think is brilliant so what what other areas do you think people really need to be paying attention for with that practice of understanding strength when to strengthen as opposed to when to stretch um yeah i think so i think it's just i guess asking why something is tight because you know we sort of think oh something's tight we need to stretch it. something's weak we need to strengthen it um but muscles don't just have actions they also have functions so for example yes the psoas like flexes your hip yes the hamstring extends the hip um but also uh, the psoas is a stabilizer of the lumbar spine. So if your lumbar spine is unstable, then the psoas is going to like spasm, quote unquote, um, to hold something together to give that perception of stability. Um, and then, for example, like the hamstrings can also act as a pelvic stabilizer as well. So, you know, if, if you've got an unstable pelvis, then, you know, those hamstrings will like give that perception of um of tightness to sort of signal to you you know we're unstable here we need something to sort of hold us together a little bit more and i think it's it's also you know it's 
if you're again going into that cycle of stretch it's tight stretch it feels good for a bit goes back tight again stretch like that cycle it's like well we're not any lasting changes we're missing something here so that's when you sort of sort of start to think um you know more of that stability sort of stuff because people as well you'll think oh it's tight so it's weak so i need to strengthen it but it's it's sort of like then people get into doing like the actions of strengthening things for example say your your glutes is is a common one that's that's weak so people start to strengthen their glutes with the action of the glutes and that's gonna make your glutes strong yes but the action of those glutes will for example like taking out the glute max which is um you know for hip extension if you look at like the med and the min their role is actually to stabilize the pelvis during gait cycle so when we're walking rather than be strong like they don't really need to be strong like if uh, you're a hypertrophy athlete you're a bodybuilder or something like that you want that to be big you'll do the action to strengthen and, and build those glutes. But if you're not, if you say a sprinter or something and you really need a stable pelvis, then that's when the language comes into um, comes into being important because you need to stabilize the pelvis and, and doing a stability exercise is gonna be different to doing a strengthening exercise. So strengthening, you're gonna be action to insertion of the muscle, but stabilizing works that muscle in the way it's supposed to be worked, for example. Um, it's it's a different adaptation. Just like if you were to um, if you wanted to squat the heaviest weight possible, running a marathon isn't going to transfer over to that. You need to be specific to the sport. Yeah, yeah, it has it has to be relative. Uh, it has to be relative, hundred percent. And I think it's it's a really brilliant point that you bring up in terms of in terms of understanding how the muscle actually works and uh, and what the action of it is and kind of what what the actual movement of it is and that so many people you know again i even think up to uh, a high level in terms of like uh, athletes don't necessarily understand what their bodies should actually be doing and how their bodies should be handling those loads so you know like you said you you come into it if, if, if I go back and I think now to all of the people that I have trained with or I've been around where, you know, they'll do a squat and they're like, man, my hammies are so tight. My psoas is jacked up and they're doing hammy and psoas like stretches in between sets for like the first 45 minutes. They come in like three days later to do another squat session. And they're like, man, my psoas and hammies are so tight again. And I'm like, okay, dude, <laughs> like, yeah. you've flogged this dead horse so many times now. Like we need to think about something else here. And there's, there must be so many people up and down the country that are just screaming in frustration that, that they keep on doing what they believe to be the right thing, but they're so close, but they're actually so far away because they're actually performing the movement rather than the joint action. Yeah, I actually had um, a good example of this is I had a friend who she was complaining for days, her sewers was so tight and she, she was like, someone just needs to release my psoas i was working at a um a physio clinic at the time and i think one of i'm not sure if it was like another massage therapist or another practitioner there finally got in and released psoas and then the next day she was like crippled over walk back had just like her back pain she slipped a disc or something 
her back was just so bad she couldn't walk because that that was holding that that lumbar spine together was like the tight sewers and once she released that it was like bam like she wasn't able to do anything so yeah that's that's another example of like what can happen if you just sort of dig a little deeper yeah and if anyone's ever had their psoas released it is absolutely fucking disgusting it is a horrible horrible sensation so if anyone anyone can avoid going through that i'm sure you've got like organs and other muscles and things on top of it before you actually get into the muscle deep down so yeah it's it's a horrible horrible area to get to so if we can if we can avoid having to get in there and just actually giving people the corrective practices to stop ever getting to that point trust me people listen (laughs) take note yeah yeah Yeah. so um so sorry no 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 carry on sorry i was just gonna say like in saying that, um, like there is there is a place for releasing and stretching as well. Um, for example, like if you if someone does have like that restricted range of motion and they're unable to get into a good position to be able to stabilize um, that joint or that muscle, then yeah, that's a way in which we can we can um, work into that. But I would always follow it up with something that's going to you know stabilize and and hold it long term. No, but I, th- I think that's that's a brilliant point because, again, I go back to not only athletes but general pop and you think about people on a day-to-day basis, all of the, the varying different movement patterns they're having to do, the loading, the carrying, the sitting at desks, being in cars, standing up, it's all going to have huge, tremendous environmental factors on their bodies where they hold tightness and tension, where maybe they have a reduced range of motion because this is tight or maybe because this is being overworked so much during their work, they have that instability and that imbalance there. I think it's really important because I'm sure there will be lots of people that will listen that will go, you know, okay, I have X, Y, and Z symptoms, but when I try and do the corrective principle A, nothing works. And, you know, again, it's kind of going back to that whole banging your head against a brick wall. It just, it really, really batters you down. So when someone comes along and goes, hey, I understand where you're coming from, but actually, have you just tried this little difference? And then when someone picks that up and they go, oh shit, this this is what I've been looking for all my life. It's like, okay, well actually, you know, this is the thing. It's, you're so close, but you could be so far at the same time. Yeah, and and it goes it goes the other way as well. Whereas I've had actually, you know, hypermobile patients and gymnasts and things like that that have come to me and they said they're tight, and I go to check their range of motion and their range of motion is fine or it's beyond normal, and it's like, well, why are you tight? Like your your leg is up next to your ear. It's like that's not tight, but it's that perception of tightness that they have because they have that hypermobility, they have those unstable joints. So therefore like the muscles that like they're wanting to create that perception of tightness because, you know, they need protective mechanism. Yeah, I think that that's brilliant because again, I've, I've spoken about it with a few strength coaches before, but 
you know, we, we talk about lack of, of range of motion and kind of the various different issues that we have to suffer with that, but not, not a lot of people take it to the polar opposite flip side and actually all of the issues that are presented when you're given a hypermobile client because now everything is flipped on its head and you really, really, really have to understand how that individual works and you have to understand the individual's anatomy and their joint, joint function to understand where they should safely be and where they should comfortably be because where they're comfortable and where they're safe i'm sure you'll agree won't necessarily always be the same thing yeah yeah that's 100 percent true like you're it lacks the light you your body you can't trust it you should just kind of yeah, it's the, it's the whole thing of, you know, something might feel 100% right to you, but it's not until you get a pair of eyes from the outside, like a neutral perspective like yourself, where you can yeah. go, uh, actually, you know what, that's not 100% right. We, we actually probably want to reduce that range just a little bit. We want to bring you out of the hole just a little bit more. And actually now all of a sudden your pelvis is aligned much better. You're able to hold that position with your spine better look at the the angle at the knee at the hip everything just looks better but yet for that individual because they don't know any better they've never been told hey why is your ass on the ground in the squat like <laughs> why are you down that low maybe actually you're going to find it being a little bit benefit up being just under 90 and i think that's something brilliant that i think that i'm really glad that you that you brought up when you're looking at hypermobile clients what are kind of uh, some of the key factors that you need to take into consideration with your key lifts? Are you uh, kind of swapping out things like squats for leg presses where we can kind of easy it? It's easier to reduce kind of the various different factors because of spinal loading, etc. What are you, are you doing anything differently? I mean, who knows? You might not be doing anything different. Yeah, I mean, definitely it would be about the same, like creating awareness um, for those clients as well. So perhaps, you know, while you do that in your first couple of blocks or a couple of months or whatever, you're sort of getting into those movement patterns and sort of helping them feel where sort of more they should be um, before you start loading them under, um, you know, more um, like less, less externally stabilised instruments for example yes yeah 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 exactly so um i uh i think in terms of uh kind of when we're looking at comparing the the, the two between kind of males and females obviously kind of coming back and summing it all up there's a lot a lot of differentiating factors but i think the, the biggest the biggest key point that I've taken away from literally everything that we've said is that it is so much about the individual that I think when anyone client coach trainer whatever it might be when you take the time to invest in the individual is when you are going to get the best out of them and I think you can probably completely agree with that yeah 100 percent 
yeah, yeah, sure. it's beautiful. So I, I, I want to, I want to wrap this up the same way I wrap up every single podcast. It's, it's very much a completely different tone question to the rest of the, the show. I want you, uh, for a second, to take a step back in time. Okay, I want you to imagine that we're we're going into a time machine and you are going back to visit your younger self. I want you to imagine uh, you're there with kind of yourself at kind of 10, 11, 12 years of age, you know, very, very impressionable. You've got your whole life ahead of you. You're able to spend a couple of minutes with your younger self, impart a bit of wisdom, knowledge, maybe a mantra to live your life by, some advice that's gonna help that younger you Get through all of the tasks that life has thrown at you since then and kind of help you to get from where you were then to where you are in your life now. I'm interested to understand what would you give to your younger self? Um, that's a really great question. Like my first instinct is to say like I wouldn't change anything because then I wouldn't be where I am now because everything back then has sort of led to where I am now. And I think... Like the way I did things back when I was age was just so much different, but I guess it's given me even more drive to educate young now because, you know, it's sort of like I love to see them lifting weights and not doing the whole like cardio and restrict um, like diet thing. So, you know, maybe... Yeah, I probably wouldn't change that because it's it's helped me learn and then I'm able to relate to those younger girls and like those up and coming generations as well. Uh, but I think if I was to say anything, just, just, you know, don't hold back, like don't hold back on anything. Don't think that um, like you're... Um, for example, you're not smart enough or like you don't have enough experience to teach on this or um, yeah, like nothing like that. I mean, I mean, like back when I was, I'm sort of, I've sort of come a bit full circle, I guess, like back when I was 10, 11, I was like massive extrovert, loved the camera, like loved being center of attention. And sort of as I went through high school, I was sort of a bit like, okay, like maybe I shouldn't be like that. But now I'm just, I'm sort of comfortable working on a bit like, you know what, I don't really care. Like people can, people are going to like me, people aren't going to like me. I'm just going to do what I can and just share as much information I can and not hold anything back um, because, you know, people need to hear this sort of stuff and, and the people that have been doing that, like they're getting the information out and, um, yeah, I think that would probably be the big thing is to, you know, not have fear around um, like being heard or whatever. Yeah, I freaking love that. I think just having, especially as, as, as a younger adult, just the, the power having a little bit of self-belief and sticking to your guns has long term, I think, has such an incredibly profound effect. And, and you know, you're, you're the first person to say in the way that you've said it, but there have been many guests that have kind of reiterated very similar things, you know, sticking to your guns, understanding that, you know, if that's what you want to go and do, then actually fuck everyone else. If that's what brings you happiness and that's what brings you joy and that's what you want to do, then you should do that. And I I can't think of a, a more perfect way to end the podcast. I want to take a second to thank you again for coming on board. It's been an absolute freaking pleasure. <laughs> like we said, we could probably spend a hundred hours talking about everything. So it's it's really nice to kind of to get this one done. I would love to have you to come back again at some point. Um, but thank you so much for coming on board. It's been a real pleasure. 
Thanks so much for having me, Matt. Had a great time. Yeah, it's, it's been, been wicked. So I hope you have a fantastic rest of your day and uh, hopefully we'll catch up with you again soon.